welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsword and today I'm talking to Mike Lander. Hey, welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us on the show. Um, I always ask my guests if you can give us a little bit of background about who you are and you know why, what, what your angle is. Well, how do you help business owners prepare for exit? Yeah, sure. Thanks. And thanks for inviting me. I'm really delighted to be here. So, um, yeah, so uh, if anyone looks at my, at my uh, LinkedIn profile, um, it would be uh, very eclectic. It's a very mixed bag. Um, but if you look through the kind of thread of that, lots of commercial experience, lots of negotiation experience. And unusually, I've been on the buy side and on the sell side. So I've been both an entrepreneur and I've also been the procurement director for uh, private equity-backed organizations. So I've seen kind of deals from my own side, having bought my own companies, I've sold my own companies, and I've seen private equity deals on the buy and sell side as well. So quite a lot of deal experience. So what I do now is I work with uh, SMEs, uh, typically on the sell side. So typically organizations in that kind of million to kind of 100 million kind of turnover kind of bracket, um, whereby they want to do one of a few things. Either uh, they've got a sales team that's scaling up and they want to improve their negotiation skills so that they're not price discounting with their clients uh, and they're getting better value when they're doing deals with their clients and they're better armed and better prepared. Or they've reached a certain size and the founders and shareholders have decided to exit. And I work on transaction support. So I'm an advisor on transaction support for uh, a client that's exiting. Um, and that may be at the point of exit or it could be well in advance of exit. And so part of our discussion today, I think, is why would you do it well in advance of exit? And how does that increase the value of the business? So that's kind of my, a bit of my background. Yeah, brilliant. And one of the things we, we talk about, and, and we probably said it when in an earlier conversation is, is business owners, you know, it takes three years to prepare your business for exit. Yeah. You can do that before the transaction or you can do it after the transaction. <laughs> <laughs> Transactions known as an earnout, and they're less successful than doing them. They before. are indeed. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, yes, I can, we can certainly talk about earnouts and deferred consideration and, you know, what that means, why it's done from both sides, you know, and, and understanding as a seller, you know, what, why is a client or, or, a, or a buyer in this case, you know, why are they looking for some kind of earnout or some kind of deferred payments? You know, it's not that they're being mean. It's not that they're just trying to claw back all the value off you. There's a very good reason why they're trying to do that. So we can explore that as well. Well, why don't we jump to it? You've laid the bait. Um, <laughs> it's clearly something that uh, it's passionate, you're passionate about. And it's something we're yeah. passionate about as well, because, you know, we bang on about, hey, look, one of the reasons you want to prepare your business for exit is so that you can exit on your terms. And exiting on your terms is all about you calling the shots or, or at least being ready when the buyer you know, who's done this a stack of times before, so they're confident and experienced, you know, you know, you don't want them calling the shots and pushing you around. So if you're prepared, you know what's coming, you're ready, you're armed, you're forewarned, and hopefully it means less of an earnout. But let's talk exactly. about what an earnout is and, and why would a buyer want an earnout? Let's, let's yep. dig into that because everyone wants to know. Exactly, no, good point, Daryl. So, um, so at my perspectives, and like anything, um, these are just my experiences and we can have a good discussion about, you know, the kind of things you've seen, the things I've seen. And so if you look at, you know, um, a deal uh, and a buyer that's looking to buy your business and you've got a certain valuation that's been agreed, 
um, they'll come to you and say, well, there'll be X percent up front as cash, and then there'll be Y percent as a deferred consideration or as an earnout, um, or as an earnout plus some kind of like sweet, equi sweet equity in their business. Why are they doing that? Well, two things. One, they're trying to manage risk because businesses normally are valued off forward projections. Yep. So if you put in a forward projection, um, first thing is your history needs to be broadly in line with your kind of forward projections. If you've got a very highly volatile um, last five years, three years trailing history, uh, but your forward forecast looks fantastic. It's nice and smooth. It's at 20% growth. You know, understandably, even if a buyer sees strategic value in you as a business, they're going to want to mitigate some of that risk. So that's one reason. Yep. And the second thing is, whenever you're buying a business, they're buying you, your team, and we can talk about the you in a second, about how you make sure that you're not the only thing that they're buying and how dangerous that is. Yeah. Um, they're buying you and the leadership team and its ability to keep growing that business. So they want to lock you in. They want to incentivize you. They want to you know, make you more money. As you grow and they grow, then everyone wins. So I think it's about risk and it's about commitment. I think of the two things. Yeah, it's the past revenue is got a track record of being highly dependent on your involvement. Then by definition today, then unless something significant has changed yesterday, um, the future revenue is also going to require your hands-on involvement. And exactly. so exactly as, as you say, they're going, well, if it's dependent on their involvement, well, I need them involved. Exactly. Otherwise, I've just paid a whole lot of money for, for something based on future revenues, which I'm not going to get. So that's the first point, isn't it? Understanding exactly. that, yeah, I like your point. They're not being, nine times out of 10, they're not being mean. They just want to make sure that they de-risk their investment yeah. and they get their money's worth. So if you can demonstrate as a business owner that actually this future revenue, you know, including the last two or three years, yeah, I've hardly had any involvement at all. You know, I'm kind of exactly. just looking and uh, you know, counting my dividends. Well, they're going to go, well, we don't need you. Get out of the way. In fact, you're holding us back. You know, yeah. They'll pay you more money not to be involved. So you know, it's, you've prepared the business in advance of the transaction. They go, this is better for us. We don't, we don't have the legacy of the, the founder hanging around. You know, that's worth more to us because we can get to make an impact. We get to put our branding, our style, our flavor yeah. as soon as possible. And we can get to start to leverage the opportunity as soon as possible. So exactly. We've all heard we've got to, you know, the, the more I work in my business, the less it's worth. Um, yeah, so it's true, isn't it? Yeah, so you're, you're telling us you've seen it every single day. It's true. Yeah. And something else that uh, is worth uh, kind of thinking about, a couple of points that just kind of spring to mind. Um, tell me, show me. You know, if you say you're not involved in the business and you haven't been closing deals for the last three years, just make sure that your sales CRMs are up to date. Make sure that obviously the sales lead is the person that did do the deal. They found it, they chased it, they tracked it down, they negotiated the deal, they closed it. You know, and if you've got that, um, the sales CRM, I think people often overlook the, how important the sales CRM can be, not in all transactions, but in some transactions, because it gives you a track record of your win rate, loss rate, conversion rate by pipeline stage, um, you know, the types of clients you go after, the sectors that you're operating in. All of that is, is valuable to a buyer. So the more of that you've got in advance, two, three years in advance, good, consistent data. And when they say, what, what's your conversion rate between stages, end to end, 
how do you generate leads? I mean, the one of the number one, I think, issues regarding a lot of the SME businesses, kind of below about 5 million is where this occurs. One to 5 million is very risky. The, the source of leads, even if the founder isn't closing deals, they're often involved in, they're the contact. They're the reason that the business has come to them. And so that's very risky for a seller because if that person leaves, all of a sudden your pipeline will dry up. And I think the other thing to look at is commercial models. Yeah, imagine that uh, I'm kind of buying your business and we talk about your kind of commercial models. And what I mean by that is, so just talk about revenue, let's kind of put uh, cost to one side for a second, but your revenue model. So is it project-based? How long are those projects typically? Um, is it technology-based? So are you selling a tech solution? Is it retainer-based? Uh, is there a profit share? Is there a bonus? How's your, so all those different commercial models have very different risk profiles for a buyer's perspective. The more stable you can make your commercial model, the more certainty of cash flow, the higher value you're likely to get, and the less they're going to be dependent upon the earnout, typically. And I think you alluded to the fact that, hey, if we're saying that the owners aren't involved, show me. Yeah. One way to show them is to go, well, have a look in our CRM. You can see that salesperson A is, you know, yep. got that lead, sourced that lead, chased it, closed it, you know, my name's not, nowhere near on it. The other thing is to have some sort of documented process and go, look, yeah. here's the process we follow. You know, here, we review the process every year. You can see the history of the updates we've been made. Bang. Exactly. Yeah, one of the other things is, do we have an agile management system? You know, do we have a management system where we've got the management team who are aligned to the vision, who every year set a business plan and budgets um, to take the business one step closer to that vision? And can you see that the management team or the leadership team, whatever you call them in your organization, are driving that process and achieving the goals? So they set a budget, we're going to do 10 mil this year. They did 10.4. That's close exactly. enough. If they did 15, then that doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence that they're in control of their budgets. But exactly. if you're near enough and you can explain the deviations, then you've got a good solid process. They're, they're following standard systems and procedures. It gives them a whole lot of confidence. So exactly right. There's an agile management system. And again, you know, if you look from the buyer's perspective, um, let, let's say your business is worth, yeah, pick a number, 5 million. Um, so if your business is worth 5 million for a whole bunch of reasons, you know, your EBITDA is around about the 800K mark or whatever it might be. Uh, and you're consulting only business, short-term projects. If you, if you look at um, what a buyer will do, part of their due diligence team will be obviously financial DD. So on your side, way before you get to a transaction, just make sure that your accounts are in order. Make sure that your P&L balance sheet cash flow you know, all makes sense. You know, make sure that you've not been changing your chart of accounts every like 12 months that it's all in order so they can look backwards. Get a really good part-time FD. There's loads of services now available. Really good part-time FDs. And if you, if you are thinking of exiting your business, which most founders are as they get towards a certain point of their lives, um, you know, make sure that the FD you're working with has some transaction experience because they'll know what they're kind of like creating. Yeah, good FDs worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're talking about the earnouts, Mike, and... You know, I've had some feedback and every so often you hear a story of, a, of an owner who, who exits their business, they have some sort of deferred consideration deal, um, the deal's taken place, the signatures take place, the new owner's now in control of the business, 
you know what, those goals, those agreements we had, we're just going to do a bit of a restructure for the business. And all of a sudden he's lost, he'll hurt, you know, they've lost control of the business and it's now impossible for them to achieve the targets that were set for them to achieve their earn out. Yeah. How often have you seen something like that happen? So I think, I think there's two points for people that are listening on the podcast first. Um, one is the definition of a, an earn out versus deferred consideration. And, and often they're, they're talked about in the same breath, but if you talk to a corporate finance person or a finance director, they'll often, I think rightly say that they're quite different. You know, an earn out is you're in the business, they've bought your business, you're part of the leadership team, you've agreed some targets, and your earn out is based upon you hitting certain targets over a period of time. And that releases a certain amount of value. Yep. Whereas deferred consideration, and I've been involved in a few of those deals uh, of my own businesses, um, is typically whereby um, it, there may be targets attached, but you're typically not in the business. And often the deferred consideration is we've agreed to pay a certain value for the business. We're now just going to agree to pay that, the, the, the remainder of the value um, above cash that was paid up front over a three, two, three, four, five year period, whatever it might be. Um, and they're often, not always, but often they are not target dependent and you're not running the business. Okay, so that's just a bit of cash flow dependency. Okay, so back to the, the earn out situation. Yep. Goalposts have changed. <laughs> so it's really hard. And my word, I can think back over the last, wow, probably 10 years of deals. Um, I'd say well over half. If you talk to 100 entrepreneurs that have got sold their businesses uh, and they've got earn out uh, structures in their deals, probably I would say over half would say they didn't get the full earn out. Yeah. Probably 20% will say they didn't get any. Um, half will say they didn't get all. Um, and half might say they get all. Um, and it's, and it's for a whole bunch of reasons. And, you know, some are obviously, uh, integration so integration into a business once you get acquired unless they leave you as a standalone brand and a standalone PL for your earn out period for three years then if they're going to integrate you in any way shape or form it's really hard to pin down what's your cost what's their costs who contributed to the sale where did the sales opportunity come from all of that kind of stuff can become complicated and it can get in the way of paying out a deal um, and cost structures can change and inflation happens, you know, so if inflation, if you're in a highly inflationary market, as we are heading into now, then clearly you're, uh, if it's an EBITDA target that you're aiming for, then you better make sure you've baked in inflation into your cost base and no inflation into your pricing, because you can't guarantee you'll get the uplift in price, but you can't control the fact that salary, salaries are going to go up. So whatever way you try and structure them, and I can think of a couple of deals that I did years ago where we did everything we possibly could to ensure that the, the, the seller got all of their earn out, and they didn't. Yeah. Because it's because there's all sorts of situations and complications that you just can't foresee. So what we're saying is if you haven't de-risked your business before the deal, you're taking a big risk after the deal. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say, you know, if you, if you factored in, I mean, I always say to people, you know, factor in the upfront cash as being what you're going to get. And the earn out is effectively kind of the cream on top. Yeah. I've, a number of people have said that. So you're confirming. Okay. So we don't want to whinge about this. So we're now going to, so what if we said to business owners, okay, so you haven't de-risked upfront. Okay. 
all the people listening to this show, a lot of them are beginning their journey of, of getting exit ready. So what are the things that they should be focusing on to de-risk their business uh, to minimize any requirement on an earnout for them? So I think there's, a, there's one simple thing that, that you can do. Any owner can do this. Go online, go onto Google, type in um, DD checklist. So due diligence checklist for selling a business. Yeah. And you'll find all sorts of checklists. And those checklists might have 100 points in them. And those points will be across different dimensions. So there'll be sales points, things you've got to check for, finance things you've got to check for, operational things to check for, employment contracts to check for, client contracts, all sorts of things. Yep. So get the list, sit down with your leadership team, and in one of your strategy sessions, just say, right, we're going to score this list. So we're going to, we're going to give a score of, you know, there's 100 questions. So we're going to hand the questions out to the team and you're going to score your own departments. And, you know, a score of one means we don't know what it means. A score of kind of three means we've got something. It's not quite right. A score of five is, you know, full marks yep. and just score yourself and then just see where you are. And it doesn't matter what the score is. It's no one's fault. This isn't a blame game. No. But it gives you an indication of how exit ready you might be. And I think if most companies do that, that haven't thought about an exit and haven't gone through a process and haven't got a structure, they'll probably score, I'd say, between 30 and 50 percent, probably somewhere around there. And then it starts to highlight areas that you need to think about. And um, I can make it even easier if, if listeners do want a DD checklist, just drop us an email. We've got one ready to go. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, brilliant. So love your thinking there. You know, go through and, and, and check your corporate governance. But if you start planning, you've got half a chance of knocking some of these things off. And every one Correct. of these items on a due diligence checklist, you're de-risking your business just that little bit more. Yeah. Which... What does that mean? Well, de-risking it makes it just a little bit easier to buy. Exactly. And, and what we know is that you know something like only 20% of businesses that end up going to market actually get sold. Yeah. And then you've said less than half of those, you know, of those that get sold, you know, most of them have got earnout agreements, less than half of them are completed, and yeah. even 20% didn't get anything from the earnout. Yeah. So just complete the checklist. Exactly. And, and you know, put the ball back in your court. Let's get the odds in your favor. The other thing I'd do is um, I'd bring in, so it's a bit expensive, but I'd bring in a, um, a tax advisor. So someone that's worked on transactions uh, as a partner or director um, that's a tax accountant. Get them to go through all of your filings, uh, tax filings, but also your company's house filings and make sure all the documents are in place that any share transfers or subscriptions that were done or you know, share agreements that were put in place, share option agreements, make sure that they're all um, tax compliant. Because one of the biggest areas typically where price is eroded in a deal is where that's not been done. There are tax issues that come up. Tax is really complex. So yeah. get a tax advisor early on. Use a, you know, a reputable firm that deals with transactions all the time, pay the money, to do a one-off exercise and give you a view of this is where you stand from a tax perspective. Get your house in order. Get your house in order. Exactly right. Board minutes. You know, a lot of SMEs don't really have formal board meetings, but as you get towards exit, you need to be documenting as a board. You know, first of all, who is your board? Well, it's the statu statutory directors uh, at Company's House. Uh, it's the starting point. Um, you know, make sure that um, 
you've got some board minutes in place. You know, when you create a dividend and there's a dividend policy, then make sure there's some kind of policy and make sure it's documented and make sure that, you know, you're signing off your accounts and that there's been a board meeting. All that stuff, the, the corporate governance stuff, and governance is really about how do we control this business? How do we control and monitor this business? Good corporate governance. Um, read the corporate governance guide. It's aimed at uh, aim listed companies and above. But there's some really good stuff in there yeah, about the Companies Act and about the responsibilities of directors, loans that you've got. You know, make sure that you've, if you've got loans out to directors or directors' loans in, make sure that they're clean. Make sure that there's agreements in place. You know, look at the security of those loans, all that kind of stuff. It's all about getting your house in order, isn't it? It is. And it sounds a bit dull, but if you get to the point of getting a buyer involved and you haven't done it, you'll soon find out that that dull work that should have been done two years ago would have paid dividends massively. Yeah. Yeah, another thing is like the normalized working capital. Yeah, this goes on a lot. If you run a successful business and you've, you're well capitalized, you, you keep putting money back on your balance sheet and you've, you've got a good buffer. Um, remember that kind of um, the, the, the money in excess of normalized working capital comes out pound for pound. So the more money that you've got in the business that you've not paid out in dividends because you're building it to grow the business, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the stuff that's left over after they've worked out what's required to keep running it once you've sold it, well, that comes out pound for pound. That can be quite valuable. Yep. All these kind of things just need thinking about. So tip number two, make sure you get some, spend some money, get some good tax advice to review everything again a year beforehand to make sure you've got time to implement all of their recommendations exactly. because we know there's going to be some there because yeah. so many business owners, they start their business, they, they, they go to their accountant and the accountant says, okay, great. We can set up a company for you and, and get you going. What do you need to do? Oh, well, I want to pay as minimal as possible. Okay. So we can set it up and we yeah. can make it as tax effective as possible for you from a day-to-day -day running perspective, 10, 15, 20 years later, They've never gone back to their accountant and given them a revised brief and said, hey, look, I actually need to be structuring the business now from an equity growth perspective. Can exactly. you change the way? Is there any updates we need to do, my accountant, uh, to, to sort things out to make? Because I want to you know, exit in three to five years. You know, what, what changes do I need to do for my structures to compensate for that? And what sort of runway do I need to prepare to give the history required for potential buyers? Yeah. And dragon tag rights. You know, yeah. another thing, you know, if you've got a few shareholders in the business, you know, you've got, maybe you've got two big shareholders and then four smaller ones. Again, you know, check that you've got dragon tag rights on those shareholders, because if you haven't, and you get towards the point of exit, the whole thing could unwind because shareholders have rights. What class of shareholders have you got? Are they all the same class of shareholder? Have you got two classes? Do you need two classes? I'm not, I'm not a, a tax advisor or an accountant or a lawyer, but I know these things are important. Yep. These are the gotchas and you know enough information to be dangerous, to yep. go, hey client, you really need to get some proper advice just to cover your butt because it could make a significant dent into the end result. Imagine having a minority shareholder, really small minority shareholder. There's no dragon tag rights. They effectively can stop you from selling the business, I believe, yeah. potentially. They can hold you to ransom. Yeah. So it's like, you need to get that sorted early on. Absolutely. We've gone through, we've tidied up our corporate governance. We've done a, a pre-due diligence checklist. Uh, we, we put some things in order. We've got some tax advice. We've extracted some cash out of the business as we can, you know, effectively. 
we, we've possibly topped up our investments um, and pensions and what have you. We're now in the stage where we're starting to do some negotiations. What You've got any thoughts, experience there on uh, what works well and uh, what could be done better, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. So I think the first thing is, what, once you're kind of ready for sale, and maybe, uh, I mean, Daryl, should, should, should we cover the question around why you need an advisor? Because it plays into exactly this point. Sure. So, you know, you're at that point, as you say, you've prepared for exit. You've done as much as you can, and you think you're kind of ready. And you're at a stage whereby the business is valuable to the market, and it's only as valuable as the market will pay. Sure. So then you go, okay, well, who am I going to sell it to? Well, in reality, you should have thought of that about a year ago. Because if you're in a certain sector, let's say you're in, I don't know, let's say you sell washing machines, you know, or you make parts for washing machines, and the washing machine manufacturers might want to buy you. Well, you need to be building relationships with washing machine manufacturers a year in advance so that when you bring the advisors in, you've got a ready list of who might the buyers be if you're in specialist niche markets. So the first thing is make sure you've got some buyers lined up. And the second thing is then you start to say, well, in order to get the best deal, there's two routes broadly. Someone might approach you and say, we love your business. We've loved it, loved it for years. We'd like to buy it. And you can do an exclusive deal with one buyer right up front. Yep. Um, and in fact, a business I sold many, many years ago, that's what I did. I only had uh, one buyer and it worked out well. Um, some would say I was fortunate. Some would say I planned well. Whatever the reasons, I only had one buyer. Typically, most SMEs that I speak to, you'd have five or so on a shortlist and you'd run a process. And the reason I mentioned the advisors is it's really important. That brings in tension and you need tension in a deal to maximize the value and, and, and to provide protection. An advisor can come in and help you work out who the five should be. Maybe it's seven, maybe it's five. And then they can run the process on your behalf which is the kind of, you know, writing an IM and the fireside chats and, you know, then the more detailed management presentations, all of that you need support with. So an advisor can come in and help you run the transaction process. And one other thing that's really important, they can protect you from having conversations that you don't really want to have yeah. until you need to have them. So the advisor runs most of the discussions and most of the uh, emails during that kind of transaction process. But there's a time, I always believe, in any transaction where you've got a preferred buyer, you've got a willing buyer, a willing seller, you've entered, in, entered into some kind of exclusivity uh, period. There'll be a moment when you need a principle-to-principle -principle discussion. What I mean by that is the majority shareholder talks to the buyer on their side, the shareholder on their side, or the chief exec, whoever it might be, and something gets agreed. And only those two people can really agree because they've both got to bear the consequences of the decision. Yep. So you need the advisors to run 90% of the conversations and then the principal to run five or 10%. And it gives you that kind of protection. And the advisor can prime the principal in what to say and what not to say and what not to offer. And yeah, exactly. because they've, they've been there a million times, they've got the confidence, they've got no skin in the game. So exactly. they're not emotionally attached. Um, yeah, we all know that when it comes to selling something personally, there's emotional attachment, you, you overvalue it, you, you know, just from a simple sales perspective, you, you may speak, say too much, you may say too little, um, too soon, exactly right. there's so much energy involved that uh, we can get it wrong. And this is such an important thing for business owners, because most of them are only doing it once. Exactly right. A couple of things I wrote down about this point, not being emotionally attached 
absolutely. Yeah. And corporate finance people, advisors, that's their job. They do it every day. Yeah. That's what they do for a living. Whereas you're right, that most, most sellers will only do this once. It's yeah. quite rare that you do it twice in your life. And if you're doing it once, you know, when have you ever done anything once and absolutely nailed it, got it fantastic, perfect first time? Yeah. So if you're going to do it once, get an advisor to help you who this is their day job. They're, they're not nervous about it because you know that the buyers have got a buying team and this is what they do every day. Exactly. They can be ruthless. They're unemotional. They're unattached. It's a deal for them. Now, in some situations, you know, there, there is going to be alignment between cultures and, and commercial strategy and vision, and, and that's important, but it's not always the case. So that's part of the decision-making that many business owners have got to make. Yeah. So is this the right acquirer for me? Is this the best person to take our business to fulfill a vision we've got? Or is it just a transaction? What's important to me? And, and again, I think on that point around who's the buyer, well, you've got different, different kinds of liquidity events, i.e. the transaction. Could be a trade buyer, yep. could be a VC or a private equity investor, could be an IPO, depending on your size. Sure. There's many routes to liquidity for the shareholders. And it, a lot depends upon your lifestyle and your age and your ambition and things you've got going on outside your business life and all sorts. And again, an advisor that comes in will talk to you about what may be best for you in that situation to get the right kind of exit deal and the right kind of like conditions. So in that earnout, if it's a three-year earnout, you want to make sure that you negotiate the conditions post-earnout before you do the deal, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what sectors can you work in, what kind of jobs can you take, what geographies can you work in, you know, all the IP that you can't take because the IP has been sold to the buyer, all that kind of stuff. Just make sure it's negotiated at the point before you do the deal. Yeah. While both sides have equal power in the relationship. Exactly. Brilliant. And I think a really, really, really important thing. Like, so um, we might have to say this a couple of times maybe to make sure that it, it, it kind of rings true. Never, ever mentally spend the money. <laughs> until it's in the bank. Absolutely. And even then, until for some of them, you clear the warranties. Exactly. That's, that's the gotcha at the end is, is you've got the money in the bank and unless you've got some sort of warranty insurance, you're still exposed for another few years. So, um, and you, yeah. see it in, you see it in transactions, not all the time, but I've, I've seen sellers in the past. Um, you know, a few years ago, I was uh, working with someone on, on a deal and, and you could see... They'd kind of, they in their mind, they'd done the deal way before the completion date, way before. And once the buyer spots that, that's really dangerous because the leverage has changed. Totally. And that's where it pays to have the advisor going in and having those conversations for you. Exactly. They're protecting you. They, they cost a lot of money, but they're worth every penny. Absolutely. Hey, Mike, you've uh, clearly got a, a wealth of experience here and you've, you've already shared a bucket load of tips today. What's the, the one key message that you want listeners to take away from our conversation today? Um, preparation. The key to a successful exit and to true wealth creation as an entrepreneur is in preparation. And that's preparing for exit well in advance. Yeah. It's 
you know, preparing your mind for how a transaction is going to work. It's finding the advisor that can help prepare your mind for how the um, transaction is going to work. Preparation. In any negotiation, 80% of the value in any negotiation is in the preparation. It's thinking it all through from different angles. So I would say prepare well and prepare well in advance. It uh, reminds me of that old saying, which summarizes all walks of life, really, isn't it? Uh, proper preparation prevents poor performance. Uh, Correct. Is the way it goes. So uh, yep. any sort of planning. Mike, that's brilliant. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. Pleasure. Uh, appreciate your time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me.